0: Isaiah 55, 11 tells us that God's word never returns to him empty, that it always accomplishes exactly what he purposes, and it always succeeds in the thing in which he sends it. So if you have your Bible with you this morning, and I hope you do, please turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. As we conclude our study of a passage that tells us how we as followers of Jesus Christ ought to live in this world not only as elect exiles but as end time exiles for the glory of God. Now we often don't like to think of ourselves as living in the last days but that is definitely the terminology that scripture uses for us who are living in this time between Christ's first and second comings. We are living in the last days waiting for the last day. As Peter says in verse 7 of chapter 4, the end of all things is at hand. It is at the door, and we ought to live in light of that. We ought to live as end times exiles. And that involves, Peter's been showing us three things. It involves having an end times awareness, having an end times attitude, and having an end times aim to your life. Now, I've already seen what it looks like to have an end times awareness back at the beginning of verse seven, where Peter wrote again, the end of all things is at hand. You and I are to live under a constant awareness that the climax and the conclusion and the fulfillment of all of God's plans and purposes could happen at any moment. And if you and I are going to live in this world properly for the glory of God, then we need to remember, we need to live under that awareness that the end of all things is at hand. We live in a special time as believers in God when the end of all things is at hand. And we need to live under that end times awareness. And when we live under this end time awareness, it inevitably produces in us an end times attitude which Peter describes for us at the end of verse 7 on into the beginning of verse 11 of chapter 4, where he began this, this part of the study last week. If you recall, the, the first end times attitude that you and I are to possess is the call to be serious in prayer. That was at the end of verse 7 where Peter writes, The end of all things is at hand, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. In the midst of a triggered and chaotic generation, we need our emotions controlled by the Spirit and our thoughts made clear by the washing of water with the Word of God so that we can pray as we ought to at such a time as this. We need to be serious in prayer. And second, we need to be substantive in love. We saw that in verse 8 and 9 where Peter writes, Above all, keep on loving one another earnestly. Since love covers a multitude of sins, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. See, in the midst of a thin-skinned and cold-hearted cancel culture, we need to demonstrate the overcoming and the coming-over love of Christ through our forgiveness and through our hospitality so that all the world would see that we indeed are Christ's disciples. We need to be substantive in our love, that it goes beyond just words and it's translated into deeds of forgiveness and hospitality. Well, that brings us today to the third end times attitude that we are to possess and that we're going to see in verses 10 through 11a, which is the call to be spirited in service. And then... After that, we're going to see how we're to have an end times aim. So we're supposed to have an end times awareness, an end times attitude, and an end times aim and goal to our life if we're going to live this life for the glory of God, for the glory of God in our day. And so an end times awareness, an end times attitude, an end times aim. With that in mind, please stand with me out of reverence for the word of God as I read our passage this morning from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. The Apostle Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes these words to us today. He writes in 1 Peter 4, 7, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Verse 8, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. and ever. Amen. This is the word of God, whose word we store up in our hearts so that we might not sin against him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this word and this passage before us today. Father, we thank you that you have reminded us of the time in which we live. And Father, because of that, you have given us your truth so that we would know how to walk in these days. Father, I thank you for the encouragement that you gave us last week, to be serious in our prayers and to be substantive in love. Father, I pray that by your spirit you would guide us in your truth this week, right now, over these next few moments. Help us to understand your word so that we would give ourselves to the things that we ought to give ourselves to in this day. That we would not be distracted and running to and fro after different things for different reasons. But that we would have a laser focus in our day as we anticipate the return of your son. Help us to be about your business, as we belong to your house. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So after Peter lays out the fact that we ought to have an end times awareness and an end times attitude, an attitude of being serious in prayer and substantive in love, he then completes that section by saying that we should be spirited in service. The end of all things is at hand, Therefore, be spirited in service. That's at verse 10 into the beginning of verse 11. Peter writes there in verse 10, he says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Notice first that each believer has a spiritual gift A spiritual ability that has been given to them by God at the moment of their salvation. Why? For the service of the saints. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 7 tells us that to each is given a manifestation of the Spirit. Why? For the common good. For the common good. So if you're a believer, you've got one. You have got one. You've got a supernatural ability that God desires for you to use in a unique and important way to strengthen the local church in their pilgrimage to heaven for the glory of God. And so Peter says, you better use it. That's why you are with the pilgrims and surgeoners that you are here on earth. You are with each other to use your spiritual gifts to encourage each other each step of the way to glory. Use it to serve one another. And by the way, that's how you find out what your spiritual giftedness is. It's by this verse right here. It is not by sitting in a pew and taking a personality test, it is by getting into people's lives and serving them and seeing how God blesses you in that service. God never tells you, this is going to shock you, God never tells you to know your spiritual gift. But he does command you to use it as you're serving. And so as you serve, God is going to make it evident both to you and to the church, the unique area of giftedness and blessing that God has given you. And sometimes it's not the way that you think. And so just serve one another. That's scripture's command. Serve one another. And notice, serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Now, that the definition of stewards is literally those who dispense. And so believers are pictured here as people who have been spiritually gifted by God to do what? To dispense God's grace to others. That's why we must serve one another. It's because we are stewards of God's varied grace. We're not merely deposits of grace and spiritual blessings. We're not dead ends. We are merely to be vessels of grace and spiritual blessings to others. God gives us grace so that we may give it to others. And God supernaturally empowers us in our abilities to do just that. He empowers us to serve. To serve. And therefore, in these last days, we are to be spirited in our service. We are to be eager. We are to be zealous. Peter makes that point next by saying in verse 11, Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Peter here gives two broad categories of spiritual gifts, I believe, the speaking gifts and the serving gifts, right? And he describes how we ought to carry them out. He says first, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. So when you take God's word, and you communicate it to others you are to communicate it as one who is speaking directly to men the very oracles of god so what does that look like this is the question i had what does it look like to speak as one who is speaking the oracles of god well what's interesting is in acts 7:38 We're told there that Moses received living oracles from God that he also passed on to others. And so I want you to consider this morning, how did Moses deliver the oracles of God that were given to him? Well, when he came down the mountain, he pulled up a stool and had a casual laid-back conversation with people, didn't he? No. He came down out of that mountain with his face glowing, having seen the glory of God written in tablets of stone by the very finger of God himself, with the angels testifying to the deliverance of God's word. And therefore, I do not believe that Moses gave a dry, dispassionate discourse. Why, we're told in Deuteronomy that when he was done speaking, the people trembled where they stood. Why? it's because Moses understood something. He did not have friendly advice. He had the oracles of God that needed to be passed on to God's people. They were burning in his mind and in his heart, and therefore they came out of his mouth in a spirited passion that struck the hearts of the listeners. Beloved, We also in our day as followers of Jesus Christ are to hold on to the Word of God as it is the very Word of God and the oracles of God, and we are to deliver it in the same manner. We are to be spirited in our deliverance of God's Word and God's truth, and might I say, especially in our day. As Paul warned about in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 through 4, he said this, The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate teachers to suit their own passions and will will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And therefore, it's in light of that context that Paul says in verse 1 of that chapter, I charge you. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and by his kingdom, preach the word. Herald it. Proclaim it. In the midst of a world that rejects authority, don't you dare retreat from the authority of God's word. Stand apart from that culture. Stand apart from that world. Declare the word of God with all authority with all faithfulness, with all strength, with all spirit, with all zeal. We must speak as believers in our day. As Numbers 24 verse 16 says, as one who has heard the words of God, as one who has discovered the vision of the Almighty and has fallen down with his eyes uncovered. The end of all things is at hand. The door is soon to be closing. How ought you to think? we should be communicating the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. We must be spirited in our service, and whoever speaks is one who speaks the oracles of God. We are here to testify to the truth, not to retreat from it. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies And that word supplies is in the present tense there, which means that God continually supplies strength. In other words, his strengthening power never, ever wears out. And therefore, we ought to serve like that. And again, I kept on thinking of the example that Peter has just given in this letter of Noah in his day. Think of the zeal in which he communicated the saving message that he had to deliver in his day as he knew the the days were counting down to when the flood would come. And then think about the spiritness of service that he gave for 120 years. He kept on serving by the strength that God supplied, knowing the days in which he was living. And we ought to serve just like that, Peter's saying, knowing that the end of all things is at hand. We ought to serve as someone who knows that the strength that God supplies to do his mission has no limits and never wears out. So in other words, the call again is to serve, to serve with zeal, to serve with energy, to serve with spirit, for it is not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. So when it comes to Christian service, brothers and sisters in Christ, when Jesus comes, you don't want to be found a pew warmer wondering why no one is ministering to you. When Jesus comes... You want to be seen as someone who with zeal is serving your brothers and sisters in Christ with the strength that he supplies. We ought to dive in wholeheartedly, knowing that God will give us the fervent strength for any challenge. So be spirited in service. Ladies and gentlemen, this is an end times attitude. As Jesus said in Luke 12, 35 through 37, which we read this morning in our scripture reading, Jesus said, stay dressed for action. And keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks upon it. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake and so doing when he comes. The blessed servants are those who are dressed, are those who are burning, are those who are awake, are those who are doing. Be spirited in service. This is an end time attitude. Not be spirited in societal reform. Not being spirited in entertainment and personal profit. But be spirited in the service of the body of Christ when he returns. It's the house that God has put us in as Peter said back in 1 Peter chapter 2. And we ought to be serving it. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious in prayer, be substantive in love, be spirited in service. I want you to consider what area of the church you have this morning as a steady area of service. Is there a ministry that you are persistently a part of you should have one beyond that do you have a group among this church family and friends that you are reaching out to regularly throughout the week ministering to them spiritually encouraging them and all the more as you see the day drawing near we ought to be spirited in serving one another for the end of all things is at hand And so if we're going to live holy, humble, and hope-filled lives for the glory of God and the salvation of the lost in our day, then we've got to become end-time exiles. We've got to transform the way we look at ourselves. We've got to become Christians who are gripped with an end-times awareness, who are gripped with an end-times attitude of being serious in prayer, substantive in love and spirit and service, and we need to be believers who are finally dominated with an end-times aim. And end times aim. And that's at the end of verse 11. The end of verse 11 where Peter writes, In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belongs glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Here we come at last to the heart of the issue, which is always... The issue of the heart. What is the single most determining factor for whether a believer is listening to my words right now with seriousness and sobriety, whether they are listening not at all? What's the difference? The difference between a believer who is reading this passage and is wide awake and is zealous to obey compared to a believer that is listening to this passage and saying, whatever, I'm going back to my business this week. What makes the difference is the heart The single most determining factor for whether a believer, a follower of Christ, will possess and live out an end-times awareness and an end-times attitude. What makes the difference between a believer who lives in light of the hour and a believer who doesn't? What makes the difference between a believer who gets serious about prayer and love and service and a believer who doesn't? The answer is it's their heart. Their heart makes the difference. Do they have an end times aim that already dominates their affections or do they not? Do they desire more than anything else for God to be glorified through Jesus Christ? Do their hearts yearn for the day when Christ will receive the glory and dominion that he is due and worth? Do they have an end times aim already burning in their hearts? If they do, then they will live under an awareness of Christ's coming. It will be something they think about regularly. And if they do, then then they will be burdened in praying and in loving and in serving in these days. But if they don't, then they won't. They'll keep themselves unaware. They'll bury their heads in the sands. They'll give themselves to pursuing lesser things to the neglect of faithful prayer, fervent love, and spirited service. It all comes down to the heart. How do I know that? Let me tell you a story that I was wondering whether I should share. I know of a young lad who fell in love with a set of books that were written by a certain Oxford professor of linguistics. These books are titled collectively The Lord of the Rings. You may have heard of them. And that lad was me. And I was obsessed with these books. By the time I was 13, I had probably read through the trilogy at least twice. To the chagrin of my parents, who would have probably preferred for me to read it later in life. It was around that time that my brother informed me that they were coming out with a pair of movies based off the books. Was so exciting. And then they were canceled. But then they were resurrected this time as a trilogy of movies. Oh, be still my heart. And as a fan of these books, I wanted these movies to be so good so badly. Well, there came the day a year and a half later when my brother called me downstairs and said, they've released the first trailer. With bated breath, we hit the play button. After waiting about 20 or so minutes for our dial-up internet to finally load the video. (laughs) We finally watched the trailer for the Fellowship of the Ring. So good. And in that moment, do you know what I prayed to my everlasting shame as a foolish 14-year-old boy. Oh God, please don't let Jesus come back until these movies come out. Now that's a foolish and an embarrassing story. But do you see the point? It all comes down to the heart, doesn't it? I had no end times aim and affection in my heart for the glory of Christ. I had no desire to see God be glorified through Jesus Christ. I didn't care whether Jesus was receiving in that moment the glory and the dominion that he was due. I had no end times aim. And if you looked at me as a 14-year-old boy, I had no end times awareness or attitude either. Why? Why? because I loved the things of this world more than I loved Jesus. And I esteemed a set of movies of greater worth than the glory and honor of Christ. And listen, why do I tell that story? It's because what I did in a foolish and youthful sense, Christians of all ages are tempted to do each and every day. We are tempted to esteem the things of this world of greater worth and value than Jesus Christ. We can esteem the worth and the value of the nations of this earth as of greater value and worth than the glory and honor and dominion of Jesus. We can esteem the pleasures of this world and what it offers. We can esteem the admiration of this world and of our comrades We can esteem the pursuits of this world and of its riches to be of greater worth and importance than the glory of Jesus Christ. And our hearts and our prayers and our ambitions can be completely twisted. And Jesus' glory is completely absent. For many Christians, if they were to be honest, the return of Jesus would be a dreadful disruption rather than the delight of their heart. It all comes down to the heart. If you think about the return of Jesus with anything less than deep longing, you have an idol you haven't kicked over yet. It all comes down to the heart. And so if you and I are going to live in this world and manifest an end times awareness and an attitude for the glory of God, then you and I have got to have hearts that are bursting with an end times aim because we see the value of Jesus and love Him. That in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, for to him belongs glory and dominion forever and ever. That should be our aim to give God in everything the glory due his name through Jesus Christ. And, ladies and gentlemen, That's an end times aim. Why we open up the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 5. And what captures the hearts and affections of the saints in heaven. Revelation chapter 5 verses 11 through 14. What words do we read? John writes, Then I looked. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said amen and the elders found down and worshiped and none of them said let me take care of something first. None of them said, let's deal with this issue of life first. Let me experience this first. All of them recognized everything bows before the glory of Jesus. To honor and magnify and glory, glorify God through Jesus Christ will be our aim for all eternity. Therefore, we ought to make it our aim now. There are many good things in this world, but all of them need to bow before the return, the glory of Jesus. Therefore, we ought to make it our aim now as well. We ought to worship the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man now. And as much as we can, by God's grace, bring the worship of heaven down to earth. Just as Peter says here, to him belongs glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. It is so, and may it be so, in our hearts and in our churches. May God cultivate in our hearts such a love for Jesus that nothing else is seen of value or worth next to his return. May our hearts be filled with a delight of his return rather than a dread because we hold him above all. Brothers and sisters, the end of all things is at hand. We must make it our aim to please him who is coming soon. When he comes, will he find faith on the earth and us serious in prayer? When he comes, will he find us loving and encouraging one another and all the more when that day arrives? When he comes, will he find us dressed for service and with our lamps burning in service for one another? I pray that he will. And I don't know any other way than when you see it led right up to the heart to finish the sermon then saying, let's commit ourselves together to living as end times exiles for this coming week by being serious in prayer, substantive in love, spirit in service, by committing our hearts to the Lord that he might change our affections by the glory of Christ as revealed in his word that we might live in light of Christ's return. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of God from 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11, which I now commit to your further study and your faithful obedience until him to whom glory and dominion belongs returns. To that end. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for how your word cuts and how it cuts all the way to the heart. And I thank you, Father, that as we've been engaged in this study of how to live as end-time exiles, you have brought it right back to our heart. Help us not to be fools Help us to be those in love with Jesus so that we might pray as we ought, that we might love as we ought, and that we might serve as we ought. Father, we thank you for the hope of Christ's return. We thank you that when that day comes, it will mean more, Than just a deliverance from this wicked, evil world. It will mean more than just rest from our labors. It will mean more than just new bodies. It will mean more than just a new universe and a new heavens and a new earth. We thank you for Christ's coming because we know that when he comes it will mean the glory and the dominion that he deserves, that Christ deserves, he will receive. Make our hearts yearn for that now so that we might live the way we ought to. Father, if there is anyone here today that lives in dread of Christ's return, I pray that you would expose in these next few minutes the idol that they love more than Jesus, and that they would confess that to you, repent of it, and return to the Lord Jesus Christ, that they might grow in their salvation. Help all of us, Father, to love and long for the day of His appearing yet more and more. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.